Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open the Word of God this morning to Luke chapter 16. And we're glad you're here today, and uh, we're looking forward to what God has for us in His Word. And good fellowship afterwards, as always. We thank the Lord for the opportunity to do that. And uh, we're glad you're here to be a part of it. Luke chapter 16, and we're going to read a very familiar text, and then uh, take a little different thought from it. Luke 16, we're going to begin reading in verse 19, down through verse 31, the end of this story that Jesus told here in Luke 16. Well, once you find your place, if you would stand with us for the reading of God's Word, and we'll have prayer, and then begin reading in verse 19. Let's pray together. Father, how we do thank you for the privilege to gather and worship in freedom and liberty today. Lord, we do pause as we remember our fallen soldiers and those that paid the ultimate sacrifice that we might be free. Lord, we do thank you today. We thank you for every sacrifice, for every service that's contributed to this day, to our freedom, to the things we enjoy. And Lord, may we never take those things for granted. And so today and, and this weekend, as we reflect on those things in our minds and our hearts, behind the scenes of everything else that takes place, Lord, may our hearts truly express that gratitude that we have for them, those who, who paid the ultimate price. Lord, not only have they paid the ultimate price for the freedom that we enjoy in our country, freedom to live and, and work and worship, Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who also paid the ultimate price, again, for our freedom, that we might be free from sin, free from the curse, and free from the law. Lord, we're so grateful and thankful for the salvation and the forgiveness of sins that's available through Jesus Christ when we put our faith and trust in the sacrifice that you made at Calvary. Lord, I just thank you today. Lord, as we all treasure that in our hearts, that you made it personal and also that you made it free. What a gift. We thank you for giving. We thank you for that sacrifice that we might be made whole, forgiven of our sins. And Lord, we thank you now for your word. And we just want to ask you to use the word of God to stir our hearts today, to encourage us, to give us faith and hope and love. And we just ask you to work now through your word by your spirit. Speak to our hearts. Lord, show each one of us uh, the things that you'd have us to know and to do because of what we read today. And we pray that our hearts would hold these truths dear. The hope that we have in Christ, how blessed it is. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke 16, verse 19. The Bible says there, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus, in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, 
for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And that is, of course, a powerful truth. I want to think about this text this morning as we contrast these two men. And I want to just preach on the thought this morning of what death means to a Christian. What death means to a Christian. Thank you so much. You may be seated. We have in this story, this true story, by the way, that Jesus told, we have the contrasting uh, destinies of these two men. We have Lazarus, whom the Bible tells us went to paradise, what we would call heaven, Abraham's bosom. And then we have the rich man who went, obviously, to hell. One who died forgiven, one who did not. One who died as a believer, the other who was not. You know, we we find the, the destiny that they entered into after death was eternal. They could not trade places. They could not leave. And that applied to both. And isn't it interesting, the way the story closed out, Abraham said, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, that was a reference to the Old Testament scriptures, which was all they had available at the time. So basically, Abraham is saying to the rich man, if they won't believe the Bible, then they won't be persuaded, even if one rose from the dead. Now, you might be hearing that, as I did years ago, for, you know, and thinking about it. Well, I don't know. If somebody rose from the dead, maybe they would think more about it. Really? Well, then why don't they accept it knowing that Jesus rose from the dead? Jesus himself died and rose again that we might have life in his name. And yet we still have skeptics, unbelievers, scoffers today, people who just will not accept the life that Jesus promised. So it's true, Abraham was right. If they won't believe the Bible, if they're not inclined to have faith in God, then they're not going to be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. What a powerful uh, story, true story. So these two men are still there today. They are in their eternal destiny. Those decisions are made here. And then death is the, the, the vehicle by which we enter into life. So let's talk about death and what it means for the Christian. Obviously, it was very different for Lazarus than it was for the rich man. If you're really interested in this subject, there's a a book you might want to read. It's called The Last Words of Saints and Sinners. And it's very intriguing. It's very contrastingly spelled out when you see the last words of saints and sinners. Now, I know modern medicine has diminished some of this because we... You know, we make people comfortable. You don't 
You don't get to hear those final glimpses often as people enter eternity uh, the way it used to be. And, and so a lot of these words have been recorded, and it's a great book if you're interested in a little more detail uh, about those kind of experiences. But let's look at the Bible today and look at the hope that we have in Christ and understand from a spiritual point of view what happens at death. What is death? What does it mean for a Christian to die? Well, I'm glad Jesus told this story because death is a sad thing. It's a tragic event, and we always mourn the loss of one of our friends, loved ones that have passed and gone before us. And, and the reason is because we, we well know, we realize the absence of, of, their, of their person. And, and we realize that, that the loss of their presence impacts us in a tremendous way, whether they're saved or not. But for those who know the Lord when they pass, we have some things today we're going to look at that can bring us great hope and great courage. And these are the things that, that I hope will, will help us. I hope will comfort our hearts, and I hope will help us to look to the hope that we have in Christ when we encounter these moments in life. What does the Bible say about death? Well, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the Bible says, It is appointed unto man once to die. Think about that. So the Bible tells us that death is an appointment. It's an appointment that every man, every woman, every boy and girl, we'll all, listen, we'll all meet that appointment. We don't know when that appointment is because we didn't make it. God has made that appointment. He knows the, the days and years of our life, and it is appointed unto man once to die. And so we understand that this applies to everyone. No one is exempt from death. Now, there have been a couple of people in the Bible who, who exempted the experience of death, and uh, that's a topic for another day, but we see that for, for the rest of us, death is an appointment. It is something we can expect, and it is something we will all experience. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 17, Ruth is talking to her mother-in-law there, and she, she makes the expression, If aught but death part thee and me. We learn from her saying there that death is a parting. And we already know this because of the experiences we've had in life. When a loved one passes away, their presence is departed. So there is that parting of ways. We, we don't get to see them again, at least this side of eternity. We don't, we don't get to enjoy their presence. There has been a parting. And uh, we no longer have the blessing of their presence. In Philippians 1, verse 23, Paul said, having a desire to part. He's talking about himself having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. He was talking about death as a departure. Obviously, it's a departure on this side. It's a departure from this life. But you know, it's not a, it's not a cessation. It's not a ceasing of existence. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. It just says it's a departure. It's like boarding a plane. You depart one city and you land in another. Okay, so for the believer, death is like that. It's like a departure. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul said this, The time of my departure is at hand. You know the story in life of Paul, that as a, as a believer and as a prophet of Christ, uh, his days were numbered. He was going to appear before Caesar. Later, his life would be taken. 
and uh, he foresees this event coming. He said he writes to Timothy in his final chapters, the time of my departure is at hand. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 5 says, Because man goeth to his long home. Again, it's, it's telling us of a departure where man is going to go from one place to another. So death for the believer, is a, for all of us, is a departure. It's, a, it's an appointment. It's a parting. It's a departure. What else is death? Well, on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about how to share our faith. We've been talking about how to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone so that they might put their faith in Christ and have the forgiveness of sins that Jesus died to pay for. And that really is what salvation is. It's when we stop trying to pay for our own sins, and there are many ways of people trying to do that, when we stop believing in what we can do to pay for our sins and get to heaven, and we put our faith and trust in what Jesus did for the forgiveness of sins, and and we trust him to take us to heaven and not us anymore. When that happens, that's when we say a person is forgiven and, and they've, they've been saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin and the consequences and the punishment that goes with that. So we've been talking about sharing our faith and all of that. And, and inside of that presentation of the gospel, we try to help folks who don't know Christ understand death a little bit by describing death as a separation. And in the Bible, death is pictured that way. And so let's look at that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 8. Paul said to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He's talking about a separation. And so we understand that that's what death is. The soul departs from the body. There's this separation that occurs. That separation leaves the body lifeless and we plant it in the ground. The soul lives on forever. Now, the Bible does speak of a second death or a second separation. If someone dies without forgiveness, without Jesus Christ, without being saved or born again, they go to the judgment seat where they are declared guilty and they are separated again from God for all eternity. Okay, that's the second death the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation. The second death. It's, a, it's another separation. And death is described as a separation in the Bible. But it's also described as sleep. In Psalm 13.3, it mentions the sleep of death. The sleep of death. And I guess, you know, if we took man's view of man, we would, we would look at one who, is, uh, who has died and about to be put in the grave. They, they appear as though they're asleep. And uh, many have, have taken that analogy we hear it sometimes in songs and different things like that. Uh, and, and that's fine as long as we understand there is a soul that is awake and that lives on from that very moment. And it is somewhere. Luke chapter 16 tells us about where the soul will go when death occurs. For Christians, though, for these things, death for everyone is an appointment. For everyone, death is a parting. It's a departure, a separation, or a sleep. But for Christians, ah, they can add this to the list. For Christians, death is a rest. 
The Bible says in Revelation 14, verse 13, it says, Blessed are they which die in the Lord, that they may rest from their labors. Rest. The Bible says it describes death for the Christian, not for the unbeliever, but for the Christian. The Bible describes death as gain. You know, we think of death as loss, but that's our loss. For the one who's departed, we have lost their presence. It's our loss. But for them, the departed, the Bible says it's gain. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, the Apostle Paul speaking. He said, for to me, to live is Christ, but he said, to die is gain. Obviously, because when you know the Lord is your Savior, you've been forgiven of your sins, you've been set free from the curse of sin. When you depart, when you die, when you pass over over this scene and you enter eternity, just like in Luke 16, Lazarus entered Abraham's bosom. He entered the blessing of God, and that was gain. Because what we don't yet know, except through the Scriptures, only what we understand from the Bible, we get a glimpse and we realize that that life is better than this one. There is more available to us there than here. I remember, I think it was D.L. Moody who said, when I die, he said, don't you think for a minute that it's over. He said, when I die, I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus. He said, I will be more alive in that day than I ever have been. Wow, what a thought. Death for the Christian is described as gain. And there are many things the Bible tells us that we will gain when we enter the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's think about death for a moment. First, death can come unexpectedly. And for us, it does, because even though there's an appointment, you and I didn't make it. So we don't know the day or the hour. And if you've ever had a close encounter, <laughs> you may have had a moment or two when you thought, hey, this, maybe this is it. I know I've had a couple of those. And, it, and it's, it shakes you up just a little bit. But you know what? There's comfort when you know Christ. You don't really have to be afraid of it. Death comes unexpectedly. Genesis chapter 27, verse 2 says, I know not the day of my death. And I believe that was Jacob speaking. David said in 1 Samuel 20, verse 3, he said, there's but a step between me and death. Well, if you, when you drive down the highway, you know that's true because all that's between you and death is a painted line and you hope everybody stays on their side. But a step. David said that when Saul was chasing him and he knew it was for his life if, it ever, if he ever caught up with him. Um, let's look at a couple of verses in Luke 12. In Luke 12, I'm just going to turn over to these. Verses 19 and 20. It says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? And you know, I'm sure we've all heard stories of people who got all ready for retirement, and then before they could enjoy it, they were gone. Well, that's because death comes unexpectedly. 
We, we don't know when it may occur. The Bible tells us next that everyone must die. We're all going to have to face and experience this thing called death. Unless you're fortunate enough to be in the generation that when the rapture occurs and you happen to be a believer, uh, okay, you will, you'll be exempt, but everyone else will experience death. The Bible says in Ezekiel 18, verses 18 and 20, this is repeated twice. It says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Well, we already know from our Wednesday night study, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and verse 23, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why there's a need. That's why there's a need to present the gospel, to tell people about Jesus and what he did on the cross. That's why there's a need for churches across the land and to preach the Bible. That's why there's a need, because we're all sinners. We all need Jesus. We all need to be saved, everybody, because of sin. But one of the penalties of sin is death. The Bible says in verse 6, 23, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. It's what we earn because of our sin. It's what we deserve. It's the penalty that comes. And there's a spiritual law. The soul that sins must die. That was pronounced in Genesis, and it carries the theme carries through the Bible. So everyone must die. In Numbers 16, 29, it says it, it refers to the common death of all men, reminding us that every man must die. In Psalm 89, verse 48, it says, What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Well, as I said before, there's only a couple of people who, were, who had not experienced that. And if you study the end time events and eschatology, read the book of Revelation, you know that they will experience that. Uh, so they were not totally exempt. I guess the only ones who were totally exempt will be the ones who are uh, experienced the rapture and, and will miss death that way. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 8, says, There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. In other words, when death comes, we're not going to hold our, our spirit in, our soul in. We're, we can't stop death when it comes. Jesus was the only one that had power over death. And the Bible says on the cross that he gave, up his, he gave up the ghost. He had the power to release himself to God and to die. He chose to die. As a matter of fact, when they came back around to check and found him already dead, the Bible says they marveled that he was dead so soon. But just to make sure, remember, they pierced his side. And they broke the legs of the other men who were still alive, to make them hurry up and die. And all of that was done, we know, to fulfill the prophecy of Jesus Christ, that, that of him not a bone would be broken. And it was just the way the Bible predicted. Ecclesiastes 3.20 says, All go into one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Ecclesiastes 3.2 the passage where it says a time for this and a time for that says there's a time to die. We're talking about the fact that everyone must experience death. 2 Samuel 14, verse 14, says we must needs die. Job 30, verse 23, 
says, Thou wilt bring me to death and to the house appointed to all living. Romans 5.12 says, So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die. So the Bible is replete with these reminders and messages that everyone must die. It's a, it's a penalty of sin. And since everyone has sinned and we're all guilty, then we all have to pay those consequences of sin as well. But next, the Bible tells us that death is the entrance to eternity. How do we get to the place of living forever and everlasting life? Well, there is no literal fountain of youth. Everyone in every generation has you know, talked about and been interested in, and some have diligently searched for it, it will not be found. The fountain of youth is not even a fountain. It's a tree. It's called the tree of life. It appeared in the beginning, but it was removed from the garden when Adam and Eve fell into sin. It is now placed in heaven. And we won't have access to that tree again until we get to heaven. And that's a good thing because you don't want to live forever in this body that you have because of sin. So, death is the entrance into eternity. How do we get to that life? How did, how did Lazarus make it to heaven? How did the rich man end up in hell? How did they make it to their eternal destination? Well, they had to go through the door of death. We see in Ecclesiastes 12.5, it says, Man goeth to his long home. And the mourners go about the streets. Well, our long home is our eternal home. It's where we spend all of eternity. I saw a preacher illustrate eternity one time. He had a box on this side of the platform, and, and coiled up in that box was a rope. He grabbed the rope, and he brought it all the way over here to this side, you know. And, and of course, the other end is still, like, forever going coiled in the box. And, and he had the end of the rope here. And he said, okay, this, this part of the rope, and then there was a piece of tape. And he said, this part of the rope here, this symbolizes our life down here. And he said, this piece of tape right here, he said, that symbolizes retirement. And he said, isn't it weird that we spend all of our years focused on this little part right here? And then he said, we spend no time at all focusing on all the rest all the rest of this, our eternal lives. What have we invested in that? Interesting thought. Man goeth to his long home. Hey, you know what? Eternity is a long, long time. It never ends. And you know what? Time is short. The time to decide for Christ is short. And what we learn from Luke chapter 16 is the results are final. When we walk through that door, we enter our eternal home. That is decided down here. And those results are permanent. Neither Lazarus nor the rich man could leave their destination or trade places with the other. Abraham said it can't be done. So where will your long home be? 
Where is your eternal destination? Do you know the Lord as your Savior? That is the question today. In Job chapter 14, in verse 14, he said this, If a man die, shall he live again? Well, down here, the answer is no. You're not coming back down here as anything else. It's not going to happen. We know that to be true because of the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul said there, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We're talking about the entrance to eternity. Death is the door. It's the entrance. Christians have high hope as they face eternity because they know that death is that door that ushers them into the presence of God. Paul wrote about this in a hopeful tone. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, the passage that was quoted in the song a moment ago. But Paul said, I will not have you ignorant. He said, why? That you sorrow not as others which have no hope. Those who die without Christ have no hope for eternity. But those who die in the Lord, those who die with Christ, they have the greatest hope. They know where their destination is. To be with the Lord, to be in his presence Heaven is our home. Thankful to Jesus Christ for that. In Psalm 49, verse 14 and 15, it says, God shall redeem thy soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. In Ecclesiastes 7, 1, it says the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. How can that be? Well, because when you're born into this world, you have nothing. You don't even have a you yet. But when you die, you have all those memories, experiences, family, friends, loved ones all gathered around you. And if you know Christ, you're stepping into eternity, into bliss eternal. And so he says, for those who know the Lord, the day of one's death is better. Wow. Hosea chapter 13 verse 14 says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave and I will redeem them from death. Jesus has done that. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, Paul wrote, because of Jesus, he said, O death, where is thy sting? And O grave, where is thy victory? If we know what Christ has done for us, and the fact that death is the door to this eternal life that awaits us, Paul said, because of that, hey, there's there's no more sting. There's no more sorrow. For the Christian... That means there's, there is these things. <coughs> Excuse me. For the Christian, those who know the Lord as their Savior, they've received the forgiveness of sins and eternal life that Jesus promised. In John chapter 8, verse 32, it says, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. <coughs> For the Christian, death means liberty. Death liberates us from the negative things of this life, like sin and the curse, from the law. In John chapter 8, verse 36, it says, If the Son therefore make you free, you shall be free indeed. We think this weekend of our fallen soldiers and the the liberty that they've given us, the, the personal and the national liberty that we have as Americans. But I'm telling you, as Christians, the liberty we have in Christ is far greater. 
And one day we will, we will enjoy the presence of that liberty beyond what we understand at this point. Someone wrote a poem, and it goes like this. Free from sin, I walk at large. The Savior's blood, my full discharge. And so at his feet, content I'll lay, a sinner saved on judgment day. How about you? Do you have liberty in Christ? Are you facing the freedom in Jesus that he promised? Tasting a little of it now and knowing the rest is coming. But for the Christian, it's not only life and it's not only, it's not only liberty, but it's life. In John 6, verse 51, Jesus said, If any man eat of this bread, talking about himself, he shall live forever. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Think about it. Jesus came. He said, I'm, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. We think we have abundant life down here, and, and we do because of the blessings of Jesus. We have the forgiveness of sins and all of that, but look, here, we're still affected by sin. We're still in the presence of sin. We're still affected by the curse and the law and those things that are around us and affect us every day. We still live in these sinful bodies, right? We still mess up every once in a while. We still have consequences to face. But if you think this is abundant life, wait until we get to eternity with Jesus. Wait till we are free from the presence of sin from the penalty of sin. All those consequences are gone. Hey, I'm telling you, we're going to be singing, I just started living when we meet Jesus. It's going to be good. 1 John chapter 5, let's turn there for a moment. 1 John, right before the book of Revelation. You have 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and then Revelation. So let's go to 1 John chapter 5. A couple of great verses here. Notice what it says in verse 11. 1 John 5, 11. It says, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. So it's in Jesus. Life is promised to the Christian. Death, if death is the door to eternity, then death means life to those who believe in him. Verse 12, he that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the son of God hath not life. So eternity, heaven, it boils down to this. Do you have Jesus or not? Have you received him as your savior? Has there been a time when you stop trusting in yourself and all the things you can do to earn forgiveness in God's favor? And you started trusting that what Jesus did on the cross was your payment of sin. And accepting him, the Bible says, if you have him, then you have eternal life also. Why? Because eternal life comes from Jesus. He gives it. Eternal life doesn't come from attending church. It doesn't come from being a member or being baptized. Eternal life doesn't come from trying to have more good deeds than bad in your life. That's not how we get eternal life. And nowhere in the Bible does it say any of that. But here, it does say, eternal life is in Jesus Christ. 
And when you have him, you have that life. So I ask you today, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you died today with Jesus, do you know for sure heaven would be your home? The Bible is written that clearly, that we should explicitly have hope in Jesus and we should know that we're saved. As a matter of fact, the next verse says that. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want you to go all through your life thinking so or hoping so or maybe so. God wants you to know so. You have to be prepared to enter into eternity. There needs to be no shadow of a doubt. And you can pass through the door of death with the full assurance of Jesus Christ having trusted him as your Savior. The Bible gives us that kind of assurance. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It says in John 5.24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. The Bible says, without Christ, we're condemned already. Because of sin, we're already condemned. We're headed towards hell, death and hell, the second death. That's our destiny. But when we receive Christ as our Savior, it's, it's like that old, that old tr- you know, train switch where you pull the lever and the track switch, and Jesus then takes us in a different direction toward eternal life. So if you call upon Him, ask Him to be your Savior, He'll change your direction. And when He changes your direction, brother, it's changed. And that's the promise that we have in him, eternal life. Look at that verse with me, would you? John chapter 5, verse 24. We'll close with this. A great promise of the Bible. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now, a moment ago, I emphasized the word hath. Do you see it? That word is in the present tense. And I emphasized it on purpose. Because I want to show you the confidence, the assurance that God wants us to have. When we receive Christ as our Savior and we are in Christ, eternal life is a present possession. Once you receive Jesus, the Bible says you have, right now, you have eternal life. Oh, you're not in eternity yet. But you have it, and it is so secure, like you're already there. 
That's why the Bible says in another place, we're already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, God in his, in his mind is saying, it's a done deal. Once you've received Christ, heaven is your home, so sure as if you're sitting there already. And that's how confident God wants us to be about it. I know it, it takes us a little while to get there. It takes us studying the Bible, learning some of these verses, and realizing exactly what Jesus gave us. And that assurance doesn't come right away. But praise God when it comes. We study his word a while and we begin to realize what Jesus gave us. And he made that trade. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. So Jesus traded his righteousness for our sinfulness. What a deal we got. Now, Jesus didn't get much when he got me. Boy, but I got everything when I got him. And if you know Christ, so did you. You got the assurance. Hath everlasting life. It's a present possession. That's why John said, He that hath the Son hath life. Because it's a present possession. So today, just as I shared with a young man years ago, today you either have Christ or you do not. If you don't have Christ as your Savior, I invite you to take Him now. There's an open invitation. Jesus died to pay for the sins of the world and yours. And he will receive you today if you will receive him. How about it? Let's bow in prayer. Father, how we love you today. How we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the great hope that you've given us. Hope beyond this life. Hope more powerful than the grave. Beyond it to know that we have life eternal in Jesus Christ. Oh, how we thank you for this knowledge. It is truth revealed in the scriptures, and, and this is something we would, we would not otherwise know. But we're so thankful for Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again, and told us about the promise of life eternal. So today, help us as we celebrate our freedom, our liberties, this Memorial Day as we remember those who've fallen, who've paid the ultimate sacrifice. Lord, we put you first on the list. And we know that we only know about real freedom and liberty because of what you did for us. And we thank you for it. And we ask that you'd work in our hearts today. And if there's one here that doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.